What is a good spouse? And are you one? Let's pop the top on this. Cue the music. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength. What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. And I'm Chris. And you're listening to another episode of that Philly Faith podcast. And Micah, try to say I'm Micah because that's what he was supposed to do, and I overstepped him. I apologize. Go ahead. (laughs) That's all right. I'm Micah. Yeah, Micah's back. And the reason Micah's back, for you faithful listeners out there, is because Ronnie had to work today. Because I know Ronnie's schedule better than he does, apparently. So, Ronnie will be back in a few weeks. All right. Well, was it... Was it last week or the week before we had Sleepy Ronnie? So maybe... Was that Sleepy Ronnie maybe, again? I think it was Sleepy Ronnie. I bet he's Sleepy Ronnie right now. He just got <laughs> off about 27 minutes ago. Yeah. So. But you're cranky Chris, right? You didn't introduce yourself correctly, no. did you? Well, I mean, I've leveled out now. Oh, you so know. you're happy Chris now? I'm happy Chris. So what's, what's a nice rhymey, rhymey nickname for that? I don't know. I'll put you on the spot. To, I'm not a walking thesaurus, so I can't think of anything. What? <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of any good Steve words. Yeah, me neither. going be a lot of silence con- trying to figure it out. Well, con- well, contemplative well, Chris? I don't know. Ooh, contemplative Chris? <laughs> yeah. Contemplative Chris. I can't. We can't Will you live up that. to that? We can't go to that because, first of all, I won't be able to say it every week. I'll mess it up every time. <laughs> you got our dad joke? Yes, I do. So I'm going to try not mess this up. Who was the smallest person in the Bible? Who? Nehemiah. <laughs> you knew that one, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Man, he did. I saw him out there. Well, the thing is, is you're supposed to ruin it if you can. Oh, I didn't okay. give him a chance to. I, I feel real bad. I'm glad you didn't because he yeah. mouthed it when I, I said it. I was like, oh, man. Oh, yeah, I pulled it off. I get so excited <laughs> about, about you having these jokes ruined for you. And I don't know why. I'm a good well, here's, here's one for you then. <laughs> Do you know when the first baseball game was in the Bible? Oh, I don't. I don't. In the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's good. Two for one. I know. Good. See, there you go. It's right on. That's great stuff. So over the course of the podcast, it sort of just developed that in the beginning. In the beginning. I didn't even do that on purpose. Yeah. At the opening, we, we sort of start with like an open discussion and just share whatever's on our heart, whatever the Spirit's been been teaching us we're going to make that kind of an official thing so from now on we'll we'll start off 15 20 minutes just share what's put on us then we'll dive into our main topic for the week and then our final thoughts so chris you said that you had something for us this yeah, week I do. so i'll start with you i do actually so i'm going to start out with as most things should with a bible verse. Ooh, i like that but so i mean everybody knows I always say this word wrong, Ecclesiastes. You said it perfect. There we go. I did it. Was it in the mic? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, I need the clapping sound. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's living up to the name it. so far. I'm proud. Um, so everybody knows, you know, uh, chapter three, verses one through, I think it's eight or some. There's a time for everything, a season for this, and it goes through a whole long list. Mm-hmm. But I think people, and, you know, that's what we see on, you know, posters and people's art you know wall art or memes and but i think people really miss like the next few verses which i think are are really important as well as, that's pretty typical right? as most things are as context 
Yeah, right, I but I think you miss a good a good section of that. So I'm gonna go ahead and read that. So okay. Ecclesiastes three nine, uh, maybe through fourteen and following, maybe. So it says, "What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden of God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to end." I know there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and be satisf- and find satisfaction in all his toils. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. So I think, you know, we kind of, and this is kind of something that's, been you know come to me the last couple of weeks yeah uh, there's been some change i won't go into all the changes but um we kind of get set in a plan for our lives and i'm not saying you know oh hey you know in august i want to go on vacation it's like the the bigger scheme of you know where's my job going where's my family going stuff like that and we 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 we, we fashion out this lives for us and we try and hammer god's will into that life Right. Into our plan. Into our plan. Yeah. Right. Where we we very clearly saw even from last week in Joseph, where you know, Joseph was given a dream from God and try as his brothers did, even so much to the point they were gonna kill him, that dream still came true. That prophecy from God still came true. So I mean so it's the point, I guess, is if if you can't seem to find the purpose or the reason that God's doing something or the time that God's doing something, maybe, maybe you're the, maybe you're the issue. Right. Right. Stop yeah. trying to hammer God into your life and let, I guess the, the best way to say that is stop trying to hammer God into your life and let God hammer your life for you. Yeah. Let him you know? be the yeah. one that right. forges you. Right. So, and like I said, in, in <clears throat> me and Carl are about the same age, Mike, I'm not going to, I don't. I don't know you well enough old, to I'm guess your age. You know, you're, you're not. That <laughs> He's much ever so older. slightly older. Yeah, you're not that much older than we are. But you know, <laughs> in your twenties, you know, you're destructible or indestructible. Nothing can hurt you. Nothing can go wrong. And then as we get older, we kind of, you know, we lose pets or loved ones, or you know, we go through job changes, family changes, and uh, sometimes we can, we can get stuck in. Well, why did this happen, God? And the worries and cares of yeah. life start to weigh us down, right, and the tragedies, right. and they build up, and yeah. And we can get kind of resentful, but I think if if we remember, like, you know, God doesn't want that for us. He yeah. He gave us those. He 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 gives us those things so we can learn from them, and then rejoice in the better times. Right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't want to keep circling and rambling, so I'm gonna kind of cut it off there. But you know, it's just kind of what I I, I saw. You know that scripture couple of times this last couple of weeks and I'm like, uh, okay, it's not coincidence. Yeah. But then I, I, I quickly remember like, it, it's good to read, you know, one through eight. Cause it, it, it says there's a time for this and a time for that. And it, it goes on. But that next part, I think a lot of people miss that because that's not on the wall art or that's not on the meme. Right. Mm-hmm, yeah. And they don't ever look beyond just that cherry picked. Yeah. 
I think we were talking about that the other day, how often like we see these cherry picked verses. Yeah. And when you look at the verses immediately preceding and following those verses, it can kind of shift your perspective on it a little bit. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know what jumps out at me from what you read there is that that phrase, I'm, I make everything beautiful in its time. Yeah. Right. In its time. That implies a process, right? Yes. It kind of reminds me of what we talked about what a week or a week or two ago when we were talking about the born again process. I created you, O Jacob, but I formed you, O Israel. Mm-hmm. Made him beautiful in his time, yeah. but in he had to time. trust in the process, and it's God's process, right? And I think that's kind of yeah. what you're talking about. Right, yeah. You know, we we trust in our process, in our plan, and what we want from our life, and we have to submit mm-hmm. to Him and to His plan for us before he can really fashion us into that that beautiful thing that he wants to make out of us. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny how quickly we kind of regress to children in that situation <laughs> sometimes where if it's, you know, if it's changes happening not fast enough or too fast, I don't want that. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's God's telling you that it's coming. This it, There's a, like you said, there's a time for everything. Yeah. The more we resist, the longer that process is going to take. Because then he has to deal with the resistance, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of a form of rebellion. The resistance is a form of rebellion. And yeah, it's just going to extend that time in the valley that you're going to walk. Yeah. You got anything, Mr. Micah? Yeah, I think, you know, going along with what Chris says, he's kind of been working me on a similar thing about him molding us into into what he wants us to be. Mm Mm-hmm. I've been focusing a lot on the light of the world, yep. you know, being, you know, I kind of figured Carl, you had mentioned, yeah, that. Carl, Carl knows this, but I'm hearing over and over and over as I talk to people, people that I've, and I know you've talked about it in previous podcasts, but people that have been hurt by believers and hurt by, you know, some of the way that we act. And the, the point of us being the light of the world is to give a true reflection of who he is. Yes. And, and right now I, I think you know, now more than ever, we've got to give a true reflection of who the Father is, and we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. We're we're giving a false false hope where people look at us and go, "Okay, you're you're a believer. I I don't know if I want that. I don't know what yeah. if I want what you have because of your actions or because of your critical spirit or your judgmental attitude or you know we can go on and on and on on the list, but it's him molding us into what he wants us to be. And I think you know, going along with what Chris said, to walk in the Spirit. You know, it's a, it's a keep in step. And most of the time I'm usually way ahead of the spirit. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm up there and going, okay, God, here's where, here's where I want, you know, like you're talking about, I want you to bless my plan. Here's my plan here. Bless it. And God said, no, I want you to walk in the spirit. And sometimes we're lagging behind. Sometimes the spirit wants us to move. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. And so to keep in step with him and to let him mold us to what he wants us to be, not what we want to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that struck me after I, I kind of meditated on it a little bit. Well, we talked about last week. We talked about Joseph, right? And I know you weren't here, Micah, but, you know, after we talked about the the historic, the, the historicity of Joseph, who he was in history, who I believe he was in history, we talked about him as a foreshadowing of Jesus, mm. right? How much of his life was a direct foreshadowing? It really struck me when I thought about it. His brothers didn't recognize him, yeah. right? When he ascended to his to his throne, when he ascended to the right hand of Pharaoh, which is a picture of Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father, right? Mm-hmm. When his brothers come, and that's a picture of us, mm-hmm. they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him because they were expecting somebody else. And I, I worry and I wonder how often that's true of us. Yeah. Do we really recognize the real Jesus or, or do we miss him because we're expecting yeah. somebody else? Yeah. And I think 
I think the only counter to that is reflecting him in the right way. Yes. Right. Those of us who do know him. Yes. Who do have a relationship with him. It's so important to reflect the real Jesus so that people see who, who he is and what he's all about. Yeah. Right. I think there's, there, there's such a skewed attitude on, on who he really is. Yeah. yeah right. Is. And you know, for Jew and Christian both. Yeah. Right. I, I think we're both expecting somebody other than, than what we're getting. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Mm-hmm. And I know that you experienced that when you went to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. You know, those people are, are down and out and they need, they're looking for some hope. They're looking for some kind of outlet, you know, and they don't know how to get it. You know, it's not that they don't want it or that they, they just don't know how to get it. And they need somebody to, you know, reflect that to them and reflect the light and say, hey, you know what? I know somebody who loves you dearly. Right. I know somebody who gave his life for you and... He, he can, he can guide you. You know, he's not going to necessarily take you out of that situation, but he can guide you. He can, he's going to be with you. He's going to, he's going to help you. Mm-hmm. And we need to surrender, surrender our life to him. Right. It's beyond just teaching the truth about yes. him. That matters too, but let's be real. Those people, they've heard the name Jesus. Yes. They know about Jesus, right? We're in America. Yeah. Almost everybody's heard the name Jesus. Yeah. They need to see a reflection of him. Yes. They need to mm-hmm. see who he is. They need to see what he's all about. And that requires active love, like actionable love, yeah, more than just lip service. Yeah, I think, you know, Carl can relate to this because I say this a lot. But, you know, I think if you took a, we had the big living windows down in Mobley or Gus Macker or some big event, if you went down there and asked who, you know, who God is or do you know who God is, probably 98% of them would say, yeah, I know who God is. Mm-hmm. But that does not mean they have a relationship with him. Yeah, those <laughs> are so two very have, different things. They, they are. And I think we get that false perspective of what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, yeah, I know who God is. I know of God, but I don't know him, like Paul says, to know him in the power of his resurrection, to know him that intimately, to know him in that way. Right. I know I say this a lot, but we need to love without an agenda. Yeah. Right. I think most of us know what love should look like, but when you and I have talked about this recently, I think we talked yeah. about it yesterday, Micah, motive matters. Yeah. Yep. I'm not going to bring up specifics because I'm not here to call anybody out or shame anybody, but, you know, somebody that we've been trying to help recently and just that, that phrase that came up, you know, you helping them, it's going to come back to you sixfold, tenfold, twentyfold. Why are we doing it? Right. You know what I mean? If, if we're just helping this person because we're treating them like an investment opportunity and we're, we want to return on that investment. Yeah. What's the motive? Yeah. That's an agenda. And people see through an agenda. I don't like that. I really don't. It's almost like telling God, I'm going to do what you're telling me to do with the resources you've given me. This is what I expect from you in return. Mm. Ooh, that's not a good, that's exactly. not a good attitude to have. Very dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We need to be the answer to other people's prayer. You know what I mean? We need to live our life in a way that we're willing to, when the spirit prods us and leads us and inspires us to be the answer to someone else's prayer. I'm, you know, we talked about Jeremiah in the pit recently, yeah. a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. I'm sure Jeremiah cried out and prayed to God. Yeah. I have no doubt. God could have reached down supernaturally and levitated Jeremiah out of the pit. That's not what he did. He inspired Abedmelech to be strong, be courageous, go to the king, demand an audience, demand the king do the right thing, take a company of soldiers and lower down a real physical rope to lift Jeremiah up. Abedmelech was the answer to Jeremiah's prayer, and we have to be willing to do that too. Abedmelech didn't expect anything in return. He did it because it was the right thing to do, period. End of story. I, I think you see a lot of times in, in the Bible where things like that happen where because it wasn't the right time, 
God moves people's hearts to to be or in to be in the right place at the right time. You know, going back even further than that was the and I'm gonna get the name wrong. Mish Meshrak. Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, There you Abednego. go. I'll yes. rescue you. Yeah. I'll be your Thank you. You're going to have to do that <laughs> often. But, you know, so when they first arrived in, you know, in Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. You his, got that one. I said Ebuchadnezzar last time. You did, but you <laughs> got it right this time. time. In, in his court, you know, initially he put on on the, the was it the, um, was it the captain of the guard uh, to... To, to feel sympathy for them mm-hmm. and, and and grant them the vegetables from the very beginning. And I can't yeah, Daniel help. was with him too then. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, but then also, you know, flashing forward now to just last week, where I can't help but think, you know, of the of the ten brothers, one of Reuben was the one that said, hey, let's not, let's just, I, I feel like even though it didn't say that, that God put it in his heart to let's not kill our brother. I think so too. We don't like him, but let's not kill him because it wasn't his time to be killed. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you said, God could have magically reached down and plucked him out of that situation. But had he done that, he would not have gone through the refining process that he needed to, to get to the end point, but it still wasn't his time to be killed. right? Right. So I think, you know, if we listen to those, for those opportunities, we can be those people that have the right heart in the right place at the right time. I agree. Yeah, and I mean, we get so focused on our own deal too. And we get so focused on who we are. I think just this last week and God really convicted me about it. And there was a guy, a gentleman that was coming out of Walmart. We had gone to get some groceries or something coming out of Walmart and a guy sitting there, an older guy is carrying his groceries and he's looking around and he's like, I can't remember where I parked. <laughs> and I was just, I just blew by him. I didn't even think about it. I was like, yeah, it's a big parking lot. And I got, and I, <clears throat> and God convicted me when I got to my car. I'm like, Micah, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, so I get back out, you know, by that time he'd already found his car, but I, I mean, I felt so bad. I was like, well, help the guy find his car. Right. I mean, what, what do you, are these groceries that I have in my hand really that important that I can't help somebody out? But we get so focused on our own thing and our own deal. And, and I was very convicted by that. And I, I kind of waved at him when he got into his car and apologized to him. And he's like, oh, no, it's okay. But but to me, it wasn't, you know, because that was a mm-hmm. conviction that God was saying, hey, you need to be more aware of who people are and the, your surroundings. You know, and I yeah. just get so focused on, you know, he was literally asking for help. And I mean, he didn't ask for help, but he was he made that statement looking for his car, an older gentleman and. Good grief, it didn't take but five minutes to help him find his car. I mean, I think we always think of helping people as these big, grand, huge gestures, cutting a thousand dollar check. And that's not always what it is. Like for some people, that that small act of kindness is a huge, huge thing. I read that was something that struck me when we were driving back from Philadelphia. I remember the guy I went with, Will, uh, we passed him by. He was an older gentleman. He had pulled over and he was was having car trouble. And we kept going, right? Because we were kind of in a hurry. Mm -hmm. And a few minutes later, he's like, you know, Normally, I try to look and see, especially if they're older and stop. He's like, it, it really convicts me. It really bothers me that, you know, I think we should stop more. Because he's like, I'll be honest with you, brother. I think Jesus would have stopped. I don't think he'd drive, yeah. drive past somebody like that and just leave him by the side of the road. Mm-hmm. It really kind of hit me hard because I never really thought about things like that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't look when yeah. people are at the side of the road. I just keep on going yeah. without giving it really honestly a right. second thought until then. And now I'm thinking, how many people... Has has God put in my path that I could be there, Abedmelech, in some small little way? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm so focused on the bigger things or so focused on myself 
yeah. that I pass it by. Because yeah. I think our love needs to be self selfless. Yes. Right? right. Too often it's a selfish kind of love. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it really needs to be selfless. Yep. And I think it's worth pointing out too, in, in both of those situations, they didn't outright ask for help. Like I, I yeah. think we mm-hmm. always think of people like, oh, the people we need to help are the ones that are going to say, please help yeah. me. Yeah. And that's not always the case. It could be something as simple as I can't find my car. Yeah. And that's our just somebody turns on their turn signal and and their flashers and pulls off to the side of the road. They're not saying, hey, I need, like actively saying I need help, but they're put in a situation where help is needed. Yeah, and I think that's the key because if you would have asked for help, I mean, I'm not trying to brag, but knowing myself, I probably would have said, oh, yeah, well, let me help you. Yeah, yeah. But it was just a general statement, and because it was a general statement, I'm focused on what I'm doing, and it just Mm -hmm. blew blew right by. Yeah. So you're you're right. <laughs> Sometimes it's going to be the spirit telling you a point. Somebody yeah. walks in the door somewhere and they say, or the spirit says that guy. Yeah. Or that that person. Yeah. Sit down with them. You know, get to know them. Yeah. Maybe it's going to take more than 5 minutes or even just a day. Maybe get to know them over the course of a, of a few weeks and then over the course of that time you're going to learn about them and then learn learn about something that they're not willing to ask for help on, but it's something they've been praying about. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And over the course of time, getting to know that person, then you learn this, you know, this is how I need you to be there at Bedmalek. They're not mm-hmm. going to ask for it. They're going to ask me. Now I'm telling you because I'm trusting you as my servant to do the right thing and do what I'm telling you to do. We need to be trustworthy servants when he, yeah. when he prods us in those situations. Can yeah. you imagine what the world would be like if we were all like all, all of those who claim to be his believers yeah. claim to be his servants were truly acting mm-hmm. like it. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. We have an evangelist friend. He pastors in Florida now, and when he was going around in evangelism, he used to tell people, there's, there was like, well, what do you need? And he's like, well, we do have needs, and I'm just telling you that if the Spirit prompts you to give to us, be obedient. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, I'm not going to give you a list of everything that we that we need, but he goes, if God prompts you to give us something, there's probably a reason for it, and, and be obedient. And I think that's where we need to be, is be, be obedient. I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of love and selfless love, our topic this week is marriage and what marriage should look like. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Good marriages. No right? comment. Yeah, no, you, you better have some comments. <laughs> we got a lot of time to fill. Before I dive into that topic, the reason we're on that topic is because we are back in Malachi after a, what, four or five four, week five hiatus? So, yeah. So I'm going to read this reference from Malachi, this section where we're going to we're, we're going to focus on, and it is about marriage. It's Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 13, and it says as follows. Tears cover the altar of Yahweh. You are weeping and groaning because he no longer accepts the offering or receives it favorably from your hand. Yet you say, why? Because Yahweh bears witness between you and the wife of your youth, whom you have treated deceitfully. Yet she had been your companion and your wife by covenant. Did the one not make her with a remnant of the Spirit? Then what is the one seeking, the one being Yahweh? Offspring of God, so protect your spirit. Do not betray the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says Yahweh, the God of Israel, and the one who covers his garment with injustice, says Yahweh of hosts. So protect your spirit. Do not act treacherously. I'm going to stop there. So this is our main topic for the week, is marriage. And I want to focus on Two points, right? We'll start off, obviously, talking about the pr- the practical application of this actual real world marriage, what a mm-hmm. what a good marriage should look like, and then I want to focus on the spiritual application after that briefly. So, here's the loaded question, gents: What does it take to build a good, successful marriage? Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> Keep her fed. 
keep her from crickets. getting hangry. Crickets. Yeah. What's Sorry, the, what's the, what's the adage? Happy life or happy wife, happy life. Yeah. You know, that's well, what goes into a happy wife. Um, I mean, first and foremost, you know, a, a, a mutual love and respect for God is, is I think key to a, a fruitful marriage. Keeping God at the center of your marriage. Right. Yes. Right. And I mean, I would I would wager to say that there's probably been numerous marriages that have been been fruitful and lasted for a long time that that weren't God centered. But I guess if if ever you were to get off kilter, that would be the way to go about getting back on. I think the happiest, like when I when I think about the <clears throat> marriages, you know that I that I hold in in my mind is the pinnacle. That's what that's where I want mm-hmm. Steph and I to be. They were godly people. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean. I think there's there's a way to put on a show if you're not, yeah. but you know, I think you're right. I think the, the the step number one is keeping God at the center. Right. And I mean, I think that stems from, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, that you know, it wasn't till years after the concept of marriage was around that it was actually adopted as a as a state sanctioned union. Right. Before right. before that, it was marriage was between a man and a wife and, and served a purpose other than filing taxes. Right. Yeah. Don't right. get me wrong. There was a, so, a, you know, a sort of <clears throat> ceremony involved right. or more like a celebration, but it was right. so spiritual focused, yes. right? You know, it in was, ancient times and now it's, it, you're right. It's really governmental focused. It's almost like another excuse to taxes. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, it's exactly. really what it kind of feels yeah. like. You know, I mean, I've heard people, Oh, let's get married or, or divorce, whatever the divorce, whatever the case may be. So, you know, we can get in this tax bracket or I can write this off or I'm like, when, when, when you start looking at marriage from that aspect, I think you lose the the power of it and what yeah. it was actually intended for, designed for, you know, a, a man to, to leave his mother and father with a woman mm-hmm. and start a new generation of that family. Well, and this um, will kind of play in when we focus on the spiritual right. aspect, but I think letting government get too much into marriage leads to us. I think I think it's led to us treating marriage more like a contract than a yes. covenant. Yeah. Right. And those are two very different things. Covenants are binding. Yeah. Right? Contracts can be ripped up and broken for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Covenants are, are much more binding, much more serious things. When we focused on the spiritual nature of it, we had that understanding that it's a covenant agreement. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like I say, that, that'll that'll focus in here in a few minutes when we get to the spiritual side of it, of our covenant with with Yahweh through Jesus, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think when we allow government to get their I mean is this okay to say is their grubby little yeah, mitts? That grubby mitts. Involved yeah, in it. Now we're yeah. going to be flagged on Facebook. Oh, that's now. fine. <laughs> it diminishes it diminishes our attitude toward marriage. Right. Right. So and then I mean so you, you take that further and um you know I've I'm I don't I don't want to be like I, it's not a chauvinistic view but um a man leads his family. Mm-hmm. It's it's biblically set up that way that it, now in in that me for everybody you know goes off on a tangent let me say like i feel like a, a good husband listens to his wife yes. values his wife's opinion the first person i ask before i make any big decision is my wife you know so and it's not to say that my wife doesn't have say about things in our marriage but i think when it comes down to it i think what pushes a good marriage forward is a man that or a husband that leads his family and a wife that follows that lead. Yeah. I think there are two major pitfalls, one from the husband's side and one from the wife's side. 
And I think the, 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 the main pitfall I see from husbands is mistaking the concept of leadership with being a dictator or an overlord. Right. Right. Almost not treating your That's wife so like a partner. The way I said it. No, you said it great. I just wanted to clarify because <laughs> yeah, I knew right. exactly what you meant because right. I know where you're coming from. But I think we, when, when men, when, when too many husbands see those words submit <laughs> and, and leader, they get a very dictatorial attitude and almost treat their wife less like a partner and yes. more like a servant. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's dead wrong. That's yeah. not godly at all. Mm-hmm. On the other side of it, I see too many wives that treat their husbands more like a a worshiper. Right. They too many wives have this princess of the house that they want to be the queen of the house, but they don't want their husband to be the king. Yeah. It's almost they they just want a court jester in the house. Right. right? To sing their praise praises and you know what I mean? Sure. They have, they don't have a proper queenly attitude. Yeah, never, they definitely don't have a proper kingly attitude toward yeah. their husbands. Those are the two pitfalls that I primarily see. To be fair, I understand, ladies. It's just three guys sitting around. I'm trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> Those are the two pitfalls I see. <laughs> no, no I, I've never heard it put quite that way, but it's a good way. They want, they want to be the queen, but they don't want to treat their husband as a king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the closer, I'm sorry, I was interrupt, and I'll turn it over and let you have your thought. The closer you, you get toward putting God at the center, the more those two pitfalls will fall off mm-hmm. by the wayside, right? I, I saw recently, actually it was this week, it was really cool, I saw a, uh, it was a, an image of how, how a proper marriage should be, and you guys can see me forming my hands. Those of you listening can't see it, I'm going to try to describe it. Picture a triangle, mm-hmm. right? In the bottom two corners, you have husband on the left bottom corner and wife on the right bottom corner, and at the top, the, the apex of the, the triangle, you have God. And the closer the husband yes. and wife get to God, yes. what happens? The closer they, they get come, to each other. Yeah. So, so the closer you are to God, the closer you are together as a husband and wife. If, and if you have God properly at the center of your marriage, that's the dynamic you're going to see, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I think that, a, and you know, that's more than just belief, right? And that goes back to what we were yeah. talking about earlier. There's a difference between just believing religiously in God yes. and having a relationship with Him. You can have the concept of God at the center of your marriage, and you might, you maybe you you won't see that dynamic forming in your marriage because you're not treating him like you have a relationship with him. Right. And that's not good enough. Having a religious right. attitude about God is not good enough. He wants a relationship. Yes. And you're not going to see those blessings until you have a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think genuinely listening like you're talking about, I a lot of times I listen to respond, not listen to actually listen to what is actually being said. Mm-hmm. I'm bad about that. Because too. she'll say something to me and I'll, I'll hear the first part of it and I'm quick to just respond and, and to, and to jump on what, what was said. And a lot of times the response is, you know, if you would have just listened to me fully, you would have known where I was going with that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I told Carl this earlier, I think that, you know, that God has a sense of humor because he can take two people who are incompatible and we'll talk about this a little later, I guess, but you know, two people who are incompatible and two different individuals and make them one, put them together and make mm-hmm. them one. And, and, and it's, and, and only he can do that. Only he can do that. And you can, you got to do it with the right kind of love too. Mm-hmm. Communication is important. When we're talking like yeah. practical advice, like what yeah. you're talking about is com- like good yeah. communication. Yes. Cause I saw an example of not the best communication between you and your wife earlier yeah, today. Not absolutely. to put you on the spot there. <laughs> yeah, Rankin. yeah, yeah. I'm not, not so good at that. <laughs> no, full disclosure, I've, I'll be honest. Like, like most of the advice that I could give come from mistakes that I've made. Yeah. Yep. I haven't been a very good husband to Steph. I'll be honest. You know, before the last couple of years when he really started shaking yeah. me, I, 
I'll be honest, I, I wasn't. I didn't have a good attitude toward, toward her, especially when others weren't around. Um, I'll just be transparent about that. These are pitfalls that I think, you know, if, if, if someone can learn from my mistakes, good. I'm not going to try to conceal or cover them. I'm going to try to help others learn from them. And you have to communicate and you have to be willing to compromise. Yeah. Right. You have to put her first. Right. And that doesn't mean, you know, agree with everything they say, even when it, when you know it's a bad decision. Yeah. Don't mistake what I'm saying. Right. When you, when you put someone first in your heart, though, what I mean by that is you're, you're putting their welfare above everything else. Yeah. Right. And it's selfless. Like yes. we've talked about, yeah. it's a selfless love. You're, you're putting them and their needs and, and their well-being above your own. Right. And that's key. That's absolutely key. Secondary to putting God first is that sort of love. And that's why putting God first at the center of your marriage is primary because you can only learn that sort of love mm-hmm. from him. Yeah. I think that's kind of hidden within the subtext of, of men lead your family mm-hmm. because yeah. somebody that was that only cared about themselves would not be the leader, a good leader of anything. So, I mean, if you are, you know, religiously putting your, your wife and your kids needs above your own, then in so facto you are leading that family. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think practicality, we have the misconception, well, I'm going to get 50%. She gets 50%. That's a (laughs) hundred. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the complete opposite of what God tells us. He says, we're going to put a hundred percent into this marriage, you know, this relationship that Mm -hmm. we have. And, Hopefully they will put 100% into it as well right. and, you know, come together under under God. I know we're going to talk about that in, in topic two, but I it has to be God-centered. Otherwise, it, it's not going to effectively effectively work. And like Chris said earlier, there's, there's plenty of people that don't have a relationship that have decent marriages, but... I think I think in order to have a, a, a kind of marriage that God designed it to be, you have to have him at the center. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it takes two. It does. Right. Right. It, it, it takes two fully committed people. Right. Mm-hmm. The husband and wife both have to be committed. But I think my third big piece of advice would be you have to be willing to step out first. Right. Yeah. You're going to go through through periods where you feel wronged or, you know, the other you just know in your heart. They were wrong about that. That was the wrong thing for them to, for them to say. They shouldn't have behaved like that toward me. And that's going to lead to you being hurtful in return, yeah. which is going to lead them to being hurtful in return. And it's going to it's going to turn into an endless spiral of, of hurting. Yeah. Someone at some point has to step out and put the other person first. Yes. To lead them to put you first. Yeah. And, you know, playing into what you said, Chris, it really kind of starts with the husband. It does. The husband, if you want to be the leader, that means you have to be willing to do the hard thing. And sometimes doing the hard thing is putting your hurt aside, right? Right. And forgiving yeah. and forgetting about it and pretending like it didn't happen. Yeah. Right. Right. So this is this kind of going along with what Micah said about, you know, taking two two different, totally different people and putting them together. And I, and I think that, you know, God's sense of humor is funny. And I think he does that because he knows we need that balance. Right. So I'm going to, to, and to Carl's point, I'm going to share a little something. Um, and, and we, me and Holly have had conversations about this, so I feel comfortable sharing it. Um, but sometimes there's situations where either if Holly's had a bad day or something's gone wrong in her, in her day, and then <clears throat> she comes across my path and then I've done something wrong. And it, it could be, 
I didn't take the garbage out on time or something like that. Some there's sometimes, as we all do, where she'll snap at me. And I mean, she'll, she'll chew me out or, you know, she'll say some hurtful words, but as part of our growing in our relationship and me loving her, I've come to find out that every time that that has happened, she has always realized if I just go, okay, I'm sorry. And just kind of let it go. Every time she's always come back and said, Hey, I'm really sorry that I, I snapped at you like that. Mm-hmm. You know, she's so, but had I engaged her, which I early on a couple of times I did that. And it just led to, like you said, it was, you know, the, it gets out of control. It gets out of control, right? So, you know, and on the flip side of that, if I really have done something wrong and Holly's been hurt, her, my my first reaction is I'm a fixer. I'm like, I'm right in your face. Hey, what's wrong? What's wrong? Tell me, tell me, tell me, so we can fix it. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Holly is not that way. Yeah. It is get out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> give me and space. It, give me space. Yeah. And it might be two, three, four days later, but eventually you know, we'll have a, we'll have a talk about it. But again, but she knows like if I engage him right now, it's going to get bad. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't, she's just like, get, you know, yeah. she'll go in her room, shut the door. You know, that's her space. I might crack the door and I guess she'll give me a look like I'm not ready to talk to you. And I'll shut the door. Mm-hmm. You know, it's things like that, that, you know, where if you just keep prodding, it's, it doesn't end well. Yeah. Well, and that highlights the need to, to really get to know your partner and right. and the best way to approach them, right? Don't approach them based upon your own your own assumptions about mm-hmm. the way that situation should be corrected or amended, right? right? You have to learn them, mm-hmm. you know? Right? That should go without saying that you need to get yeah. to know your the person you marry. Yeah. But with the failed marriage rates in, in this country... I have a hard time believing people are getting to know their spouse real well. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. The assumptions are a big, are a big part of it too, because there's sometimes that we assume they meant it in a way that they didn't mean at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if without the clarification and that, that honest communication, let's sit down and let's discuss this issue. Let's discuss what happened. Let's just, you know, end time. I mean, I understand I'm the same way, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the same way your wife is. I need some life space sometimes. And but we've got to come back to it and we've got to, you got to um, talk it, talk it through. Right. And I think, you know, listening and, and not assuming something. And I, there's times that I've made assumptions Well, you said this. And so therefore you meant this. And she's like, I didn't mean that at all. How did you get mm-hmm. your assumption out of what I said? Well, our feelings fool us and our feelings play a part of it. And the emotions are high. And then that moment you're, you're tense and you're on edge anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it, it enhances all that. Yeah, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've actually found myself saying, she's not mad at you. <laughs> she's not mad at you. <laughs> yeah. She's mad at something else. You know, and that, you know, like you said, that getting to know your spouse is what, you know, leads to, you know, leads you to that mind space. And the reality of it is that we take out our frustrations and our disappointments and our failures on the people we love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Frequently. I mean, I, I will hold it in with in a group like this or in a, in a public gathering more so behind closed doors. And then I'm unloading my wife and she's like, well, why, why are you yelling at me? I'm not, you know, and I'm not mad at you. I'm frustrated with the whole situation. I'm frustrated with, with what went on, but 
she gets the the bulk of that that frustration the and she should yeah, yeah and she shouldn't I, I, I it's funny you mentioned that because that's exactly my yeah. next point is you know i make it all you know sound one-sided but there's been times i've come yeah. home and absolutely unloaded on her yeah and it wasn't it wasn't about anything that she had done it was yeah. just about what was going on and at the point at the end of it she was like i just got yelled at for 30 minutes i don't like that you know yeah. And then I feel it's like devastating, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. right. Well, you're comfortable with them. Right. You know yeah, what I mean? You're exactly. comfortable with them. So you, you let your guard down. You know what I mean? You mm -hmm. vent out those frustrations without, without proper regard to the impact that it has on them. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, that's another pitfall. I think that we should be mindful of in building a successful yeah. marriage is, you know, be mindful of the way our demeanor and our behavior, even when we're, when we're venting. Yeah. Um, be mindful of the impact that it has on their emotional state. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Definitely. Especially women who are as exceptionally emotional as it is. Yeah. That's that's a joke. <laughs> Don't be mad. Don't unsubscribe. <laughs> We're just three guys trying three to guys. stumble through this. Three guys. I just wanted to demonstrate one of the or the next pitfall, right? Yeah. Saying things you shouldn't say. Yeah. But in your outside voice. Yes. You know, overtake your inside voice. <laughs> like, oops, did I say that out loud? Yes, you did. <laughs> yep. yep, that happened. So to your point, I was going to read Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21, because it gives us that famous that famous outline on successful marriage. And we'll round back to a certain word there, because it, it comes back, and it's to your point about leadership. And it says this, starting in verse 21, Also, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Messiah, Wives, to your, to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Messiah also is head of his community, himself the Savior of the body. But as Messiah's community is submitted to Messiah, so also the wives to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. This is the part where a lot of husbands just stop stop reading. You know, yeah. oh, the, the wife submit to me. Yeah. Done. Done. I don't yeah. need to read this. Husbands, love your wives, just as Messiah also loved his community and gave himself up for her to make her holy having cleansed her by immersion in the word. And I just want to, to clarify, this is biblical love we're talking about. This isn't a feeling. It's not a, It's not an emotion. Too often we treat love like it's just something we feel. Yeah. It's, this is talking about action-oriented love, what you do, and it's a selfless love. Yes. Right. When you properly mm -hmm. understand this, the what he's telling husbands, the, the demeanor he's commanding husbands here to have, and this is biblically based. I, I understand Paul doesn't have authority to add to the word, but he's not adding to the word here. He's... He's clarifying a, a, you know, and we'll get into this in a minute, but, but he's clarifying a biblical principle here on how husbands should be to their wives. And it's, it's an action-oriented, selfless love, mm -hmm. right? In the same way husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. I'm going to stop there, actually. And I wanted to round back to that word submit, <laughs> right? Because we talked about that earlier. That may be one of the most misrepresented words in the context, in all of Scripture. I, I, I think I have my top 20 list of misrepresented words, and it's on there. And it's actually the Greek word hupotasso, I think is how you say that. It's originally a Greek military term. And it literally, it, it, it carries the, the, the meaning of organizing troops beneath a leader, right? Is what it, what, it, what, it, what it literally means in a military setting is organizing troops, sergeants, captains under a commander, right? Mm -hmm. In a civilian setting, it's used in the context of or with the connotation of um, willful cooperation, right? So willfully cooperating with your leader, yeah. right? And obviously, 
Paul Paul lays out here a good leader. He's the husband is the leader. A good leader is selfless. Yes. Right. We're, so we're talking about willful cooperation here. We're not talking slave status. Yes. And I think the problem here, the reason I bring this up, is because too often this word is treated as if it, it as if it implies slave slave status for the for the woman. Like she's just there to hand you wrenches when you need it. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Read, make you so, make you dinner. Yeah. Read that same verse with instead of submit. Uh, what what what, what you, I what I said? What you said? Also, willfully cooperate one with one another out of reverence for Messiah. Wives to your own husbands, as to the Lord. So, so that's yeah. how you would say that out loud with yeah. that proper understanding of that word. It changes things. Changes it. Yeah, because you, you, and I think it's on both sides. Men and women hear that, and it women cringe at it, like submit, like because yeah. mm-hmm. they instantly think of slave status. Yeah, like I'm, I'm here to, I'm put here in this marriage to cook and clean and take care of his kids, <laughs> and no, no, <laughs> no. Because if if a if a man loved you, and was showing actionable love, he wouldn't put you in that status. Right. You wouldn't be put in servant status in the marriage. And that's the biblical role too, I think, because when a husband loves his wife in that way, you know that agape love. I know you guys have talked about the different types of love mm-hmm. on previous podcasts, but that agape type, that God centered type of type of love, when we love our spouse that way, our wives that way. They're going to desire to follow that. They're going to, that it's going to be, it's not going to be a, a, I have to do this or I have to wash the dishes or I have to do this. It's going to be a, a willful cooperation like you're talking about together mm-hmm. where, you know, I'm following God, I'm doing what God wants to. And if she's, you know, she's following God as well, she should desire that kind of, that kind of leadership and that kind of mold. And so it's not a dictator type thing. It's not a, I'm over you type thing. It's a, we submit to each other. We're, we're cooperating mm-hmm. with, with each other. Right. And it requires mm-hmm. both part, both parties to willfully yeah. surrender to their role. Yeah. Right. I, I, you know, I think, I think too often all of the, all of the responsibilities put on the wife, you have to be a good submissive wife. <laughs> and like we said, it stops there. No, she is supposed to be a willfully cooperative wife to a good and godly leader yes. in her household. Yeah. And if she doesn't have a good and godly leader in her household, then it didn't, the, the dynamic shifts. Yeah. Right. Her number one responsibility is to to God and Messiah, yeah. to the Father and the Son. That is her number one responsibility. And if you as a husband fail to provide her with good, godly leadership, then the failure of marriage is on you 100%. Yep. I can't stress that enough because I see that abuse very often. Like I say, I see abuse on both sides, but I more frequently see the abuse on the husband's side that, you know, sort of beats the woman down into, into our idea of submission. Right. With no responsibility given to ourselves, we can mess up all we want, but she better have that dinner on the table when I get home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She better keep the house clean. She better keep things tidy. You know, she better be be forgiving for my flaws. But man, wait for her to step out of line. I see that a lot. Yeah, yeah. It, a, a disturbing amount. I see that. It's troubling. Well, I think the misconception also, and you may get to this later. I don't want to steal your thunder, but you know, it says to your own husbands. And so it gives, you know, this, mm-hmm. we grew up in a very chauvinistic, legalistic church background. And, you know, some of the men in that church that we grew up in had that mindset. Well, all women are submissive to me and I'm, I'm all the, women. Yeah. yeah. All, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, we're the men are the boss and the men are the, the, the superior one. And you just have to do exactly what we're talking about. Cook yeah. dinner, clean the house and, you know, do whatever I, you know, like the king mentality, bring me whatever I want. 
and and they're and they're missing what what that what that love aspect is that's not a love that's a dictatorship that's mm-hmm. a that's a selfish type you know that that erotica oh, type that erotica type of love like i said i know you guys have talked about different types of love but that erotica selfless swirly type of what can i get out of it type love yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's more material minded yes. more yeah. more honestly lust minded yes. in a lot of yeah. ways you know that it's yeah. it's a, it's a very skewed idea of love and marriage very skewed idea of it and it really needs to be broken yeah. and if you want to be the leader you have like i said i think it rests on you to break that cycle first right yeah. and it's it's doing and showing love ex- with only the expectation of actually getting something for that that's the that's the wrong way to go about it right? it goes back to motive like we talked about earlier right <clears throat> Right, yeah. So I mean, if you're if you're doing things and and showing acts of love to your wife simply for the pure fact of, oh, you know, what am I going to get out of this at the end? You know, then that's that's the that's the wrong direction you're taking in love. Mm-hmm. Right. You should do those acts of love simply because you want to be good to that person. Yeah. Yeah. What, regardless of return. Right. Yeah. Well, well going the, back to your point on on women, you know, like treating women like they're below some yeah. of the some of the first and most devoted supporters of the Messiah were women. Yes. You know what I mean? And 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 ones that ended up being some of the most prominent members of building the early church yeah. were women. And they had a very chauvinistic culture, too. You know, the fact mm-hmm. that they mentioned that these women like, for example, going to the tomb first. Yeah. You wouldn't say that unless it was true. Yeah. You wouldn't because they didn't they didn't even treat the the testimony of women as valid. Yeah. Right. You know, so it never would have been recorded that way unless it was the truth. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's how low women were looked upon, that there's no indication at all that Jesus ever looked at them that way. Yeah. And he's the benchmark, right? Yeah. Like he showed us how to walk out the will and heart of the Father perfectly. Mm-hmm. He's the benchmark. And if we're not following after him, our belief doesn't matter. Yeah. Our belief is irrelevant if we're not truly following after him. I'm not saying you're not saved. Right. That's a different that's a different debate for a different day. <laughs> right. But I think I think there's a difference. I mean, not to to bring up the book that everybody loves. There's a difference between being a fan and a follower. Right. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. You know what I mean? There's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him, you know, between being in a religion and being in a relationship between, you know, following mm-hmm. after and and just saying his name every once in a while. <laughs> you know, yelling out for him when you need something. There's a big yeah. difference between those concepts. Yeah. If we're I mean, truly think, following, I'm sorry, go yeah. ahead. No, go ahead. I was done. I, was I mean, you think of Song of Solomon, you know, there's a lot of people kind of shy away from the, from that, from that book. But when mm-hmm. you really dive into that book, it's talking about ultimately our relationship with God. It is. I mean, that our relationship with him has to be that intimacy and that going out and, and retrieving. And I've got to have that you know, I've got to have have them in our in our life, and it goes back to what you said earlier about the triangle. Mm-hmm. You know, the closer we get to him, the closer we get to each other. Yeah, right. and and that's I think that's the that's the goal is to continue to grow in our relationship. And we're like you, know, like we've said lots of times on this podcast so far. We're three guys. We're we don't have all the answers, but we we know what the Bible says, and we don't always act on it like we should. Right. <laughs> right. At least I don't. I can't yeah. speak for you guys. I but, try uh, my best. I try my best. But sometimes yeah, I don't even try my best, I don't think. Right. <laughs> if I was yeah. trying my best, I'd probably do better. Right. Well, and that's where, you know, that godly type of love comes in, you know. Love love your spouse as Christ loved the body and gave himself for it. 
And that's an unconditional, no matter what, it doesn't matter whether she does what I like or what I don't like, or whether she made what I like or don't like, or that's an unconditional, genuine love for who they are. Right. That God has brought us together. And like Genesis talks about, you know, what God has joined together, don't let anybody pull apart. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of that, that we used to, growing up, we used to make bridges for the science fair out of balsa wood and balsa wood is that really thin type type wood and we'd spend months on it was really kind of a sad thing because we've spent we spent months building this bridge and then at the science fair it's how much weight can it hold and they're just going to break it anyway right and so but but balsa wood is is really thin and really really narrow and when you glue it together and if you try to pull it apart there's no way to cleanly pull that apart Right. And I think that's the aspect of what God talks about. What God has glued together. I might, sorry, I'm going to get ahead of you. No, you're okay. good. Yeah, what, you're what God has glued together, what God has joined together, don't let anybody pull apart because it's messy and it's ugly and it's not his design yeah. for that. Right. You never do it cleanly. That's a, yeah. that's a perfect analogy yeah. for it. No matter, no matter what the reason for the divorce is, there's going to be damage done to both yes. parties. Yes. No matter what you do. Yeah. Right. Oh, you look like you were going to say well, something. I mean... You do that to me a lot. You give yeah. me that look. Uh, okay, it look, well, looks like I, you're about I, to I, exhale a, a word. In yeah, well, that's the thing is, is, that, is I come up with, you know, something in my mind, but I think, oh, that's kind of just exactly repeating what somebody just said, and we don't want to... But since you called me out... So I've heard... So in, in the same instance, you know, to that, Mike, is I've heard, you know, when you think of welding, when when... You weld two pieces of metal together. If you take one piece of metal as the wife, one piece of metal as the husband, you weld those together. God being the the welding material, that the the weld is actually so strong that you can pull the metal away and the weld won't break. If the weld's good, which Christ is good, yes. Hey, there ain't no there ain't no faltering in that weld, right? The metal will actually pull away from the weld. The weld won't break. Yeah. Right. So in that situation, if you try to pull those two people, the the, the bond that God's created, you won't pull that apart. You'll pull the people yeah. apart. Yeah. Right. And I think that's kind of what is, I think, one of the, the reasons we as human beings take divorce so hard sometimes is that it, it literally rips people into. Yeah, I agree. And it rips families into. It does. Right. I agree. And it's in, in, in a way that it, you can't put it back together. Right. Try to crumple a piece of paper, you're never gonna uncrumple it, yep. right? So, well, God values marriage, and when, when we we read in that Malachi reference, He says, "I hate divorce." Yeah, I hate it. There are times when it's necessary, and we'll get into that in a second. But even then, He's seeking reconciliation. He hates divorce. Yeah. He despises it. It's not a good thing because it is messy. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. I think I like to look at. Adam and Eve, right? Because it's like the one point in history we can actually say they were made for each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? We say that a lot. Of it. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, they really were. Hey, hey, yeah. When yeah. did, when did, when did uh, God make Eve? Or, yeah. <laughs> but when you look at the account, right, in Genesis chapter 2, it refers to Eve when he makes her as, it's usually translated as help meet. Yes. Sometimes it's help mate, um, but that's not accurate. And really help meet might not be. We'll get in a second. It's the only place where that appears. So when he creates Eve, he 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 refers to her in the Hebrew is Azer Konegdo, is the Hebrew term there. Azer appears pretty frequently, but Konegdo doesn't appear anywhere else. It's like a compound word, and nobody really truly means exactly what that means. Um, Negdo means against, right? So 
it can't carry that same connotation as against because he didn't create Eve to be against Adam. You know what I mean? Un- unfortunately, the way circumstances played out, they were kind of against each other. You know what I mean? In the way in the way things went. Sad story. Right. We're not getting into that, but I'm getting into her her creation, the intent, right? Cause, <clears throat> and and this is an important thing. This, um, this could be considered the the very like the second. Uh, foundation or or principle that God laid out second to the Sabbath. You know what I mean? The very yeah. first covenant he really made was the Sabbath covenant, and then immediately following this, you have this principle of marriage, sure. right? So clearly it's important. I believe, Connecto, that, that compound, I believe it's rather than against, it's standing opposite of one another, but in image equality. I think I I think it means almost the, the connotation of reflecting as in a mirror, mm. right? She was made in the image of Adam to reflect him, right? And we're, we're, we're talking about how, how, sure. you, how you come so close to one another that you're almost indistinguishable. Sure. That's the, Spiritually, mm-hmm. that's the goal, right? And that's sort of, I think, what this word implies is that that closeness and that knitness together, that they were indistinguishable. Obviously, you could tell physically, but sure. spiritually indistinguishable from one another. As there is a fascinating word. And it, it usually, it, it comes in like like places where God rescues his people, right? Mm-hmm. Like with military mm-hmm. rescue. So it, it carries the, the meaning of rescue. Uh, Eben, Ebenezer, I believe, is the compound word that actually can be translated as rock of salvation. Yep. So in that instance, Ezer, Ezer is salvation, to save. And in that compound, I believe, it carries the implication of she was not so much a helper, in the sense of just a servant, like we've been talking about, but mm-hmm. more to uplift and support Adam from a position of strength sure. is what it seems like it means. So essentially the way God's describing Eve in that perfect state, right, that perfect marriage that he created just for Adam, he created her as 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 a rescue for Adam. He was lonely. He needed a companion. And he created an equal opposite savior. Right, right. To up to uplift him, to uphold him, to support him. That was the intent. Obviously, that's not how it played out, but that was the intent, True. right? And talking about shifting over to the spiritual implications of this, what we learn about this in our relationship with Jesus, right? Because we see that that marriage metaphor used frequently in our relationship with Him. Yes, we're called the bride. He's called the bridegroom. When He comes to gather us back, it's called a wedding feast. Incidentally, side note in Exodus in the scroll of the covenant in Exodus chapter 22 I think it's where it's at he doesn't give all of the the seven holy days that we find in the book of the law later um, trumpets and atonement are are interestingly omitted there I think that was added as a consequence for the rebellion later we have three festivals one of them is Sukkot but it's not called Sukkot there it's called the feast of ingathering he gives it a different name so think about that we're, 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 we have the, the wedding feast described to us prophetically as that time when our bridegroom comes to prophetically gather his bride together mm. to himself. I think that feast is a literal, a physical picture of that in, that in gathering, right? right? The wedding feast. Point is, you see this metaphor of marriage in our relationship with him and in reverence to our relationship with him throughout. Yep. And I was actually going to bring up Song of Solomon. I wasn't going to read out of it, but I think you get a, a perfect picture yes. of what he's talking about there. Obviously, it's about Solomon and, yes. and, and a lover. Yes. But prophetically, it's a picture of, of him as our bridegroom yes. and his heart for us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That was his intent. 
like I view the scroll of the covenant as essentially, and, and just for reference, scroll of the covenant, when I say that, it's that section of Exodus 20 through 23 where you have that initial covenant. I think of that almost like marriage vows. Yeah. Like that was his marriage covenant vows to us. And that's why I brought up that word earlier because that word's so important. Covenant, it's a binding thing. Yeah. It's an important binding thing. It's not just a contract. I think the contract came later with rebellion as a consequence in the form of the veil that was torn. Yeah. And again, mm-hmm. you can tear a contract. You right. can't tear a covenant. Yeah. It's different. It is. Right? We see, however, how that marriage fell apart. We see that really explicitly in the book of Hosea. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to dive too deep into that. But essentially what God does with Hosea, and I can't imagine <laughs> being right. tasked with, the, with the, the role that God gave Hosea. Mm-hmm. He has Hosea take a prostitute for a wife, an unfaithful prostitute. And naturally... She continues as a prostitute. She cheats on him. She commits adultery repeatedly. And then God has Hosea, after she goes back into prostitution and leaves his house, go and buy her back, Yeah, which is humiliating. Yes. He had Hosea go and debase himself in front of everyone and pay the prostitution price for his own wife to bring her home again. And that's a picture of the lengths that he's willing to go to get us back. Yes. Adultery there is is a reference to idolatry and disobedience. Essentially, what he's saying is that I wanted you to be a wife to me, right? I took yeah. you, Israel, and we're engrafted in, right? This is just a reference to believers engrafted in, <clears throat> right? I took you to be a wife to me, and you were unfaithful in every conceivable way. Yeah. You refused to stay in my house. Yeah. You refused to obey me. You sought after false gods to prostitute yourself with them. I, I, I brought you back over and over and over and over again. But then we come to a point in history where God says he divorced them. And I'm going to read this real quick, just for reference, so to prove my point. It's in Jeremiah chapter 3, and he says this, If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him to be with another man, will he return to her again? Would not such a land be totally polluted? You were a prostitute with many lovers. Now are you returning to me? It is a, it, it is a declaration of Yahweh. Lift your eyes to the barren hills and see, where have you not been violated? By the wayside you sat waiting for them like a nomad in the desert. You have polluted the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore showers have been withheld, and there has been no spring rain. You have a harlot's brazen look. You refuse to be ashamed. Did you not just now call to me, Abi? You were a friend of my youth. Would he keep a grudge forever? Would he keep it to the end? So you said, yet you have done all the evil things you could. Then Yahweh said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what backsliding Israel did? She went up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there she committed adultery. Yet I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me. So even after that, he wants her to come back. But she did not return. Even her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I noted that when backsliding Israel committed adultery, I sent her away and gave her a certificate of divorce. Gave. He's not threatening here. He says he gave her a certificate of divorce. Yet unfaithful Judah, her sister, did not fear. Instead, she also went and committed adultery. And he goes on kind of chastising Judah, right? But he says there in a prophetic reference that he divorced Israel, right? Mm -hmm. Now, he hates divorce which I think is why he waited centuries before he finally did this. Correct? Right. I'm going to skip backward to the law. Because there's a point I'm making here about 
this link to jo- to Hosea and our marriage with him and how far he's gone to rescue us in in Jesus' role in in the reconciliation process, right? Because I think it gives us a, a clearer picture on what his objective was, one of his objectives. There's a couple things I think he accomplished, right, when he came all in one fell swoop, but there's one that I want to focus on here. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, and it says this, Suppose a man takes a wife and marries her. Now, if she doesn't find favor in his eyes because he has found something indecent in her, he is to write her a certificate of divorce, hand it to her, and send her out from his house. When she leaves his house, she may go and become another man's wife. Now, suppose the second husband dislikes her and writes a certificate of divorce, and he hands it to her, and she leaves his house, or suppose the second husband who took her to be his wife dies. Then her former husband, the one who divorced her initially, who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that would be detestable before Yahweh. So what he's saying here in a legal setting is that if you divorce your wife, she remarries, and then that husband dies, the former husband can't remarry. So in a prophetic context, what that would mean would be, since Israel was divorced, she was handed a certificate of divorce, she couldn't remarry him. Right, she couldn't come back into covenant with him, is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Right, there's a point I'm going to make here, and it's it's it, it paints a beautiful picture of his love for us, the lengths he's willing to go. But what he's saying here, he divorced her for adultery. She went to the to the false gods, and by the way, we're not Judah, so as Gentiles or you know, I don't know what our heritage is. We may have links to some tribe. We don't know, but when you're a Gentile, you you don't become part of Judah. You become part of Israel, right, in mm-hmm. a prophetic setting. So. He divorced Saul, right? He had enough. He said, I divorce you. I give you a certificate of divorce. And then he goes on and says, Judah did even worse than that. You know what I mean? So she mm-hmm. deserved worse than Israel deserved. But then we come forward to Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1. And Paul gives us a beautiful picture of what he did to rescue us. And I think this is where, where Peter gives that, that warning that, you know, Paul talks about things that we can't even begin to comprehend sometimes because he was thinking on a higher level. There's a reason... God called Paul because he he saw he, he must have been highly intelligent. He saw things that I don't I think we miss sometimes yeah. even having his letters because we don't study enough. But he says this. Or do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I speak to those who know law, that the law is master over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. That's that reference from Deuteronomy mm-hmm. I just read. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if she is joined to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were made dead to the law through the body of Messiah, so that you might be joined to another, the one who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh... The sinful passions that came through the law were working in our body parts to bear fruit for death, but now we have been released from the law, having died to what can find us, so that we serve in the new day of the Spirit and not in the old way of the letter. Do you see what he did there? Yahweh. Now Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Whenever we see someone interacting with a physical image of the Father, I think we can safely assume that's Jesus. That's the theophany, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. So who divorced them? If it was Jesus as the image of the invisible father at Sinai, 
and then later Moab cutting a marriage covenant with Israel, well, Judah and Israel, who married him. It was Jesus, right? As the image of the Invisible Father. So later, when they committed adultery, who divorced him? Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. As the image of the Invisible Father. Now, by law, he can't remarry because it would bring defilement. Right. So how, he, how could he possibly remarry? If he wanted reconciliation that we didn't deserve, how could he possibly remarry us after we've been given a certificate of divorce as a people group? By death. Dying. He literally came and died, died to the image that he married us through, to rise again as a new man. That's what he's called, the, the one new man, to remarry us. And only he could do that if he, the only way he could do that is if he was the one that divorced us to begin with. It's a beautiful picture of his love for us, right? When you read the Song of Solomon and that, that selfless love it describes, that's exactly what you see in the person of the Messiah. The links that he went to, and let's be honest here, the reasons he divorced us for a people group, we deserved it. It was vile. When you get into the history of why he actually divorced us as a group, Mm-hmm. It was utterly vile. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not diminishing the, the atonement for sin, right? Like I said, this, beyond the scope of this episode, there's, there's several things I think he accomplished at his, at his first coming. But I think one of the most pivotal things that he accomplished, and I think, you know, he, he said at one point, I come only for the lost sheep of the children of Israel. I believe he's referencing the divorced children of Israel there and the reconciliation that he, he was bringing by, by paving the way for them coming back into that that analogous marriage covenant that they had lost through the certificate of divorce. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Did it to you again. You did. You did. I thought you <laughs> I had an awesome agreeing. thought. No, I was, I was excited. Agreeing. I was so excited. I was vehemently agreeing. Did I say that word right? Wow. Vehemently. <laughs> <laughs> and thinking about the things we've talked about, right? Like when we look into those, those words, what's our role then, Right. Obviously, we, we missed the mark massively as a group when we got divorced the first time. There's no doubt about that. So I think the question is, you know, on this second half of the discussion, we've, we've gone through the, the laundry list of, of, of how to be a good husband or how to be a good wife in a practical setting. How do we be a good bride to the bridegroom? I, I think we need to ask ourselves that, like, very seriously. I think it ties into what we talked about in the beginning, shining his light, mm-hmm. making sure that he's recognized, reflecting him properly, and Interestingly, when we look at that 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 word that's used in reference to Eve as the 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 type of that perfect wife, right? And that before the fall, that type, she was a mirror for Adam, as we should be as the bride for the bridegroom, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like we should be a a connecto of Jesus. We should reflect him. We should be reflecting him perfectly, right? He serves his role as husband. You know what I mean? To be our proper leader, to be that good, perfect leader, you know, that no, that no human husband could ever be. He is that perfect leader to us, right? right? But spiritually, positionally, as his bride, we need to surrender to him, and we need to biblically submit to him, not as a slave, because that's not what he wants. The father right. doesn't want slaves. He wants sons and daughters. Correct. And, you know, Jesus wants a bride. He doesn't want servants, yep. right? Right. We need to willingly cooperate with him right and that's not often what we do we just we do things to get something in return from him Mm -hmm. going back to what we talked about earlier with that motive well if i help this person i can get this back our love needs to be selfless Mm -hmm. 
right? Yeah. You guys got any thoughts? I mean, bringing it back to, you know, wives submit to your husbands, Israel submit to your God, mm-hmm. right? So in that same instance where, you know, we should be a willing participant in his leadership to be a good, to be a good wife. We need to be very respectful of our, of our position with him. Yes. Right. He's gone to extraordinarily great lengths to draw us back to himself. I think the very least we can do is to willingly submit, to willingly cooperate with his agenda, right? With, with his motivation, with drawing others in. We don't see a lot of that. I think too many believers, they're, they're more interested in just permanent visitor status at a church. Yeah. They're not really walking the walk. Yep. It just hit me. I haven't said my little catchphrase for like three weeks. Oh. Where we talk the walk and walk it too. Mm-hmm. It just hit me. <laughs> Man, I'm going to beat myself up about that later. <laughs> got it in there that time though. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I got it in late, but I got it yeah, in there. Right on. You guys got any final thoughts before we close this out? Because I think that's a good place to close. Yep. Like I say, I think I think we've given a lot of pretty good advice. I think. I don't want to take my own horn or anything like that, but I think <laughs> it was pretty yeah. decent. Well, I think, you know, as we've said, marriage is a reflection of, of who God is. And I think we don't take, we don't realize that when we say our vows, that we're saying them not just to each other, but most importantly, we're saying them to God. Right. And it's that it's that type of that type of covenant with him that needs to be taken seriously, more so than just a ceremony somewhere or inviting lots of people and having good food. It is it is a mirror of, of who God of who God is. And I think the way marriages are falling apart is exactly where the devil wants things to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, I he's agree. he's he's putting that wedge in between the family because that's that's the picture of who god is and you know he always references the family and if he can attack the family then then he's doing a pretty good job and he he is because we see families fall apart all all the time and i would just say kind of a side note um you know if you're in a relationship with with somebody that you know maybe it's, it's not a godly husband or maybe it's not a godly wife you know our heart goes out to you dive into the scriptures and and begin to look at what our proper role is and begin to pray for them. Genuinely, right. genuinely pray for them on what, what a godly, godly relationship looks like. Because I know there's several marriages out there that are that are that way. And I would encourage you to to email email us and or email Carl and Chris. I'm just the, the guess, but email email them and we, we're glad to put some resources into your hand and help you help you with those because I know that's that's a hard situation to be in as well. Mm-hmm. When the the husband or the wife either one, you know, one of them is on track for God and the other one is not. And that, that creates a, uh, a distance, spiritual maturity distance, definitely, but mm-hmm. it also creates a distance in, in the relationship process. And so I would say just, just pray for each other and pray for God to give you wisdom and guidance and, and, um, to have the marriage that he wants you to want you to have. Yeah. I think I would also add the caution that you don't have to be abused. Yes. To be godly. Definitely, I think definitely. a lot of times that's almost used as a weapon and it 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 pushes abused women into a position where they, they don't feel like they can get away from it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's no 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 way in scripture that says you have to stay in a relationship like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. You got anything? Oh yeah. 
So I, I think it's also important to remember that um, no marriage is going to be picture perfect. Yes. Um, it might be pretty good the first year, two, three. Um, but when you really start getting into the meat and potatoes, as it were, of the marriage, um, you know, I, I've used this adage before on here and I'll use it again. You know, one of the one of the reasons that wedding bands were solely made of gold at one point was because of the refining process of mm. gold. You know, to 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 get gold to a pure state, it needs to be melted or smelted down. And then the refiner then takes the impurities off the top and then he'll put that right back into the flame and smelt it again over and over and over. This happens. And that's kind of where we get the carrots from. You know, the carrot count is how many times that that's gone through that process. So, you know, when you think about that, and you you apply it to marriages is like you're, you're going to go through the fire and your marriage is going to break down. But it's up to to you to 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 pull it back out of the fire, yeah. scrape off, scrape it off, refine it and then put it right back in. Right. So, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a process. It's not going to be something that, you know, it's going to happen overnight. You know, you, you ask these, you, you can ask people that have been married 30, 40, 50 years, but what's the secret? Communication, talking, mm-hmm. working. Well, yeah. you don't just run. Yes. Right. I think, you know, that goes to your point, Carl. We've made it too easy just to tear, yeah. tear up the contract. Yeah. Uh, five years in, I'm done. Yep. For I'm every not, little disagreement. Right. And I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, and don't get me wrong, again, there's no reason to stay in an abusive situation yes. if there's, irreconcilable differences in a marriage then steps can be taken but you know you know and i think again i don't want to be rambling i got a lot to fit in no you're good um but uh you know i think also it social media takes a big hit on marriages because you only ever see the good stuff on social media it's like the iceberg it's like the iceberg diagram where you only see 10% 10% of what's going on. You don't see the other 90% underneath the water. Yeah. You see this so, picture of a perfect right. little life. It's not real. And I, and I, I've told many people this, like, don't, don't measure your happiness with somebody else's yardstick. Don't measure your marriage happiness or your marriage success based upon what you see other marriages like in social media. And I use that same advice with just your life in general, but mm-hmm. you know, that's why I was saying, you know, it's, it takes work. It takes time. It takes, you know, years, you know, I, there was, there was one point in me dating my wife that we we almost parted ways. Thank God that that didn't happen, but you know, it was a process. We started over, you know, and it wasn't until years after that process of starting over that we got married, you know, and then from then, even then I've made pretty grievous mistakes in our marriage, but yet my wife was a good wife and we worked through it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's never picture perfect. It takes work. I have two final thoughts, one for each leg of our, of our main point on the, the practical side of it. You've always heard that, that phrase, the grass is greener on the other side, <laughs> right? I think my suggestion to you is if that's, if that's something that you're saying, maybe try watering your own lawn Amen. or maybe stop poisoning your lawn yeah. because it, it kind of ties into that social media thing yeah. you brought up. The grass may only be greener because you're not getting a full picture of the other side of the fence or you're doing damage to where you're at. And if you carry that attitude to the greener lawn, you're just going to you're just going to kill that yard, too. Try 
by putting some what's that stuff called? You can put it on your lawn to make it grow better. Miracle grow. Miracle grow. Yeah, for, use some spiritual yeah, fertilizer grow. in general. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I was going for miracle grow. Miracle grow. Yeah, it would have been better that, if I could remember that on my own. It's okay. <laughs> well, I mean, that's more prophetic in the sense of right? miracle grow. <laughs> grow your marriage by miracle. <laughs> on the spiritual application in our relationship with Jesus, I would take your your metaphor and reapply it with the gold, right? If we want to be that that connecto of Christ. Right, properly ref- reflecting him, it's going to take refining, and more than one. Right, the more gold refines, or silver, well, we're likened to gold and silver prophetically. You know what I mean? In 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 the word a lot, and often in ancient times they would use silver and gold as mirrors. And the way they would they, the way they would do that is they would refine they would sorry they would refine it over and over again to a very purified state and then polish it. I think you gave this analogy once. They would super polish it until you could see that perfect reflection, so you could see your face back in it. You have to surrender to that refining process. If you want to be a connecto, a connecto bride to the bridegroom, you've got to be refined, and it's probably going to be painful. I know it was for me. Yes, I hope it's not as painful for you. I, I did it to myself, so <laughs> I put myself in that place. But we need to get to that place where we are reflecting him so that people see a proper image of him. Yes. And in the spirit of that, Seems appropriate to close this out with Hosea since we mentioned that earlier. And in chapter 6, he says this Come, let us return to Yahweh, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has smitten, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, and we will live in his presence. So let us know, let us strive to know Yahweh. Like dawn, his going forth is certain. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter rain watering the earth. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your time. If uh, you're listening on YouTube, I ask that you'd like, comment, and subscribe because that helps us with their very painful algorithm that doesn't let anybody see our videos. But that's not your problem. That's our problem. Mm. Follow our podcast if you're listening on something like Spotify or Amazon Music. If you're listening on Apple, leave us a positive review. That helps a lot. And if you have any feedback at all, find us on Facebook. We have an open group there called That Philly Faith Fellowship. We'd be happy to hear from you. Just enter into the conversation. And if there's any feedback you'd like, any questions you'd like to ask, any topic ideas you'd like to hear us address, we're open to all of it. Thank you so much again. And as always... Keep your feet steady upon the path. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and pursue that Philly faith. Until next time, shalom. God bless. Singing glory, yeah, amen. Singing glory.